Thank you. Now you can be seated. Please open the Bible to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, and we are still in verses 15 to 21 this morning. This continuing study through this passage, and the, the Word of God is so deep and so wide and, and, and broad, and, and we could dig in like this to every passage, and we don't normally, but uh, we have just uh, found so much here for our life of faith, this gospel that is our life now. Galatians 2, beginning in verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ And not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Father, once again, we praise you, our great God, that Christ did not die for no purpose. In his death, we are given life. In his life, we have life abundantly. Father, we pray that as we study these words, your truth, the gospel, God, that you would implant them deeply into our souls. Lord, that you would change us from within for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we in the church seem to have sort of our own language, don't we? Our own way of speaking, our own vocabulary. We talk a little differently than other people a lot of times in the church. And I'm not talking about cursing or swearing, you know, those, I mean, of course, those should be certainly excluded from our language and from our speech, but I'm talking about words and phrases that other people just don't normally use. We use a lot in the church, like this word justified, uh, to be declared righteous, totally righteous, or the word faith. And we might hear this word faith out in the world, but according to the, one of the definitions from Merriam-Webster Dictionary, this is how people think of faith, what they, hear, what they think about it when they hear that word. It's a firm belief in something for which there is no proof. <laughs> that's, if people use the word faith in the world, that's the way they're using it oftentimes. That's not what we understand from the truth, the proof of the truth of God's word. As we hear the facts and the truths and the proof of God's word, we know there is substance and there is plenty of proof, and we believe it in this faith, and we hear it, and we know it, and we believe it, and we act on it. Many of the words we use that others don't come straight from the Bible. This word justified, that word faith, grace, gospel, scripture, Um, holiness, right? These are words that come straight out of the Scriptures, and it's common for teachers to tell us, you know, don't use those church words. People don't know what they mean. But those aren't church words. Those are Bible words. And if people don't know what they mean, that's part of our job, to explain them, right? To understand what they mean and help others to understand what they mean. But we do use other phrases that aren't straight out of the Scriptures, 
other words and terms, and I, I thought of that when I began working on this message from these verse, verses here in Galatians. I, I started thinking about these verses as teaching us what it means to live in the gospel and to live out the gospel. And some of you are just thinking, that sounds good, but what does that mean? <laughs> what, what does that mean to live in the gospel? If, if the gospel is facts and truth and to live out the gospel, uh, what in the world does that mean? Those phrases, those terms. And it's not because, you know, we're just immature or because we're new or because we're just, there's some problem with us or something. These aren't Bible words or phrases. They are words, but Bible phrases, we've invented them and they're not bad when we're able to say what they mean, summarize them, right? It's helpful for us to understand. So to live in the gospel means, how do I live each day in light of or because of the gospel? It's like wondering, Okay, I've got the gospel, now what? Right? To live in the gospel means now what? Because this faith that I've um, come to have in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's supposed to produce a change in me. How does that change happen? From the time I wake up in the morning to the time I go to bed, when I have a rough day, when I have a great day, what does it look like? How does the gospel matter in my life aside from just keeping me out of hell? Right, that's the question, to live in the gospel. To live out the gospel means that as I live in the gospel, what do people around me see? What does it look like? Now, we don't live our lives for other people's pleasure, right? I mean, we're not man-fearers or man-pleasers as, as we've seen earlier in Galatians. But part of the reason God has us here is for others to see us living out the gospel, living in the gospel as they see it, that's living out the gospel. And that's for His glory, so living out the gospel is living in the gospel, but it's what other people see as we live in the gospel. That's what we mean by living in and living out the gospel, but that, that's what these verses are teaching us. That's what this passage is about. What, what does this gospel look like in your, a life, the life of a person who has faith in Jesus Christ? We'll get a better idea of what it looks like as we continue on. That's why this series has been called, if you've noticed the, the title at the top, The Gospel for Life. How did we get here? Well, in this section, we've understood two truths, and we're learning two truths about the gospel in a person's life. And the first one is that although everyone is sinful, anyone can be justified, but only through faith in Jesus Christ. We saw that in verses 15 and 16. Every person is sinful before God. There's not any kind of certain, special kind of person that can be saved. Anyone can be declared perfectly righteous positionally before God through faith in Jesus Christ not by anything we can do. And we've studied that together. And that's just the beginning of our life in faith, a life of faith in Jesus Christ when we are justified. We've started to study number two, that the justified Christian life then continues only through faith in Jesus. Verses 17 through the end of the chapter, verse 21. We've looked at first, A, last week, that Jesus reveals the truth of sin, verses 17 and 18. The question there is, is Jesus the servant of sin? Is he, is he promoting it? Is he just dishing it up and just bringing it wherever he goes? No, of course not. Certainly not. We're sinful. When Jesus comes, our sinfulness is revealed. And that's especially true when we try to go back to working ourselves into pleasing God or working our way into justification or working our way into sanctification. We prove ourselves to be transgressors when we go back to works of the law for the basis of our faith. 
Why? Because in our strength, Jesus said, you, apart from me, Jesus said, in our own strength, you can do nothing. So for Christians, for those of us who have been justified through faith, Jesus enables the Christian life by revealing us our, to our, our sin to us so that we don't continually try to go back to uh, works of the law, works of righteousness on our own through the works of the law. We can see the lesson here is that Jesus enables our life of faith by first helping us understand that we can't work our way into God's acceptance. He strips away our sufficiency in ourselves so that we're only left with faith. But he doesn't only reveal the truth of sin. B, this morning as we study verses 19 through 21, Jesus enables the life of faith. He enables our entire life of faith. Christian, now that we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, how do we live in the gospel and how do we live out the gospel? What does it look like? How do we do it? Since the gospel produces change, do we force that change? Do we start reforming ourselves, our behavior, our words, our habits? Do we need to start setting up some rules so that we can follow them and so that we can make ourselves more moral people? Is that what we're supposed to be doing? Is that the change of the gospel, a life full of rules? Have you ever tried that? Many of you probably have. I, I tried that when I was a little bit younger. I, I set some rules for myself. And I, I thought I was doing pretty well. <laughs> Other people noticed. They said, wow, you know, you're, you're doing well. You're doing things you're supposed to do, and you're being a pretty good person. And it felt good for myself because I was doing some good things. It felt good that I was doing better and other people were noticing. And not only that, as I continued to follow those rules, I, I got more and more of that acclaim until suddenly it started to die off a little bit and people stopped noticing. So I set some more rules. But as I did, I set more rules and I started doing these other rules. The old rules got left behind. I started forgetting those rules and things started to slip. And I'm working on these new rules, but I'm neglecting all the old rules. So I went back to the old rules. And then I started to, oh, let me try to follow the advice of the world. The world says, you know, if you do something every day for 30 days, it becomes a habit, right? So I worked on it for 30 days. Okay, 30 days straight. I've got it established. Now I can move on to some more rules and some more habits and some laws. And I can do some things to try to keep working my way into some form of righteousness here. I put together the next set of habits based on rules, and I started working on those for 30 days, but then somehow the ones that I had established before fell away. I forgot about them. I, I couldn't do it, and I got really frustrated. You know, God, why did you make me like this? You know, how come I can't remember? Did you just not make me smart enough? <laughs> that I can't remember all these rules, and, and I can't measure up to, to doing all these good things? Why can't I do all of this? I'm still missing things. You know, God, I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to be right. I'm trying to do what you want. And I've still got other things to work on. How can I move ahead if I'm still stumbling with these old rules and these things I'm trying to do? I tried different strategies, you know. Let me, let me find a big thing. Let me work on this one big thing. And then when I get that, then I can start working on some small things, right? That didn't work out. Okay, let me work on some easy things, the low-hanging fruit. I'll, I'll get some motivation. I'll get some momentum going here by, by perfecting certain things. And, and then I can move on to other bigger issues. None of it really worked. I just couldn't make myself remember all of the rules all of the time, let alone obey them. Other people seemed to be pretty impressed by my good behavior. But all I was inside was frustrated. 
People were pleased with me and they were impressed with all of these good things, but I was just frustrated. I had no peace. I had no joy. There was no love that was motivating any of this. It was just, I want to be following more rules. And my rules, as good as they were to me, didn't even touch God's law, which is so much higher and so much farther into perfect obedience and holiness and purity that I could never reach. Is that, is that what the Christian life is all about? Yeah, I've got to be better. I've got to do better. I've got to work harder. You know, I need to go to youth group, and it needs to be all about don't do this and don't do that, right? Make sure you do this and always do that. As an adult, and you, know, you, you hear preachers and teachers and pastors, and every time you hear a sermon or a, a conference or a lesson, you, you know, true Christians would never do that, and true Christians always do that, and, and every time there's something else that I should be doing, and I'm not doing it, and I'm not doing it enough, and oh, how can I do it? I can't remember it all. I can't do it all. Not to mention I've got the rest of life to think about as well, right? I'm trying to go to work. I'm trying to go to school. I'm, I'm trying to, to live a life in this world. I'm trying to add following all these rules. God, why? Why? This is so frustrating. It's so hard. I keep failing. What's happening? Is that what the Christian life looks like? Is that what it's intended to look like? Those are two different questions, right? Is, that's what it often looks like for us. That's what it often feels like for us. But is that the way it's supposed to be? This passage is teaching us a resounding no. That's not what the Christian life is all about. That's not the, the life of a person who has been justified through faith. That's the life of a Galatian church member. That's what it looks like for people in Galatia that Paul was writing to. The trying really hard and the doing really good and, the, and all of those works. It's the life of a person trying to earn justification before God or our sanctification before God. So remember, those church words we talked about, they're actually Bible words. Justification is being declared righteous positionally before God by Jesus' righteousness. Sanctification is how we continually, every day, more and more become progressively more like Jesus practically in our life. Is that how you do it? We know because we've been studying, you can't be justified by works. You can only believe, but to be sanctified, to grow in holiness, practically becoming more like Jesus, do you have to force that? You've got to work really hard for that. How does it work? This is a life of faith that works, but how do those works come about? What does that look like? Now, we can't focus on the symptoms, the outward signs. That's what we've been trying to do the whole time. That's what I was trying to do, and I still fall into that at times. Because we might be able to impress others with those works for a time. We don't really impress ourselves much because we know the truth. Even more importantly, God is never impressed with all of the wonderful things that we think that we've done. So we can't do it by forcing it. We can't do it by trying to work harder and be better. We've got to back up and rethink this whole thing. We've got to reconsider, and that's what these verses are teaching us. Here's how to think rightly. Here's how to understand this Christian life of faith. So let's learn to think this way, this biblical way about ourselves. We need to consider ourselves, number one, as we see in verse 19, dead to the law. Dead to the law. He says in verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law. This is serious stuff. This is life and death stuff, isn't it? Now, it's in Romans that Paul gives a little bit of a longer explanation of this. He says, I was apart from the law in Romans 7, 9. I was alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. And that's what's implied here in Galatians chapter 2. 
When we live in the world before Jesus and before the law comes, we feel pretty good about ourselves. We feel alive. We think we're okay. We're following some rules somewhere, and following those rules makes us feel all right. We feel like we're doing well. It's the law that as we become aware of it, God's perfect law, as we discover that we fall so far short of fulfilling it and obeying it, that kills us. We die to the law, but not physically. Now, as, as we've been talking about law, we've been talking about what God says, his commandments, we might start thinking, you know, this law, man, this, this must be pretty bad, right? I mean, what good is it? It doesn't save us. And here Paul says we die through the law to the law. What good is this law? But we need to remember what we said at the beginning of this study in Galatians, that it's not God's law that's bad, it's us. Romans 7, 12 says the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. God's law is is holy and righteous and good. It's perfect because God is perfect, and he's the one that gave it to us. We talked about Psalm 119.97, where the psalmist says, oh God, how I love your law. God's law is perfect, and we love it. I love what Psalm 85.8 says. Listen to, listen to verse 8 of Psalm 85. Let me hear what the Lord God will speak, what Yahweh will speak. Let me hear that, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. There are only two options of what to listen to there, right? There's what God says, and then there's everything else, which is folly. Those are the only two places. And he says, I want to hear what what God says. I want to hear what the Lord says. There's nothing wrong with God's law. What's wrong is that we don't follow it because we don't love it, because we don't love the lawgiver. We don't love God himself. There's nothing wrong with his law. What's also wrong, though, with the law is how we misuse it. We misuse it. How, how do we do that? Well, 1 Timothy 1.8 says, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. He explains in verse 19, the law is not for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. The law is not for those who are just as if following it is how they became just. <laughs> it's, not, it's not how they became just or how they remain just. That's not the proper use of the law for us to hold ourselves up and think, my, how just am I? <laughs> that's not the proper use of the law. The law is laid down for the lawless and disobedient. The law shows us that that's us, that we're the lawless ones. We're the disobedient ones. And he continues there with a whole list of, of specific sins from, from lying all the way to homosexuality. The law is misused by us when we hold it up as our goal to obey. To become just, to become righteous, I obey this. I do that. That's a misuse of the law. We're supposed to love his law. We love the law of God, but not as a tool to measure our performance. Not as a a, a goal to try to reach as if we ever could. Not as instructions for how to be good enough. God's law doesn't give us the the instruction and the ability to follow the law. The law is not our encouragement or hope. It's not our help. So this is why trying to follow the law, learning to obey all kinds of rules can be so discouraging and so frustrating. And Christian, if you have a Christian life, if you're looking at a Christian life, you're saying, what is this? What does this mean? What's it all about? How come I'm so frustrated? Why do I have no peace or joy or hope in this thing at all? This may be the heart of why 
because you've made it into a misuse of God's law so that this is what I'm trying to do. I'm constantly trying to live in obedience and obey and do and achieve and perform. The law is God's perfect standard. Against it, I fall and I fall again and again. It shows me my sin. That's what it does. And that's when I'm trying to be good, right? That's when, I'm try- that's when I care about what God says. Oftentimes, when I don't, what, what does the law do among people in our minds and our hearts? You see a sign that says, don't walk in the grass, and what do people do? <laughs> they take a step in the grass, right? Or they walk right through the grass. You, you tell your children, don't, and they do. You tell your children, do, and they don't, right? <laughs> you say, oh my goodness, don't look over there. And what do people do? The first thing we do, right? We look right over there. The law reveals to us our sinfulness. It, it can even encourage more sin in us. It, it reveals the depth and the breadth of our sin in ourselves. But even worse, it provides no path for how to obey. It just says, I'm wrong. Every way that I go, everywhere that I turn, it says wrong, sin, transgression, iniquity. You've gone too far. You didn't go far enough. You went this way, you should have gone that way. The law is perfect. The law is good, but it's not helpful. You know, I can't measure up. All it does is condemn me. It discourages me because I cannot fulfill it. So it shows me my wrong, my sin, and worse, it doesn't show me how to be right, But as if that's not enough, the law also brings punishment for my wrong, for my sin. You did the wrong thing, the sin of commission. You you didn't do the right thing, the sin of omission. In any case and in every case, in all cases, the punishment for your wrong and your sin is death. In every way, at every turn, the law is perfect and holy and good and righteous, but it shows me how much I'm none of those how far away I am from all of those. And the righteous penalty is death. Now, if we never believe in Jesus, we never come to that place of being justified through faith, our life is all about law because we're not dead to the law. We're alive to the law. That's what Paul was saying in Romans 7. That's what he implies here in Galatians 2. I was alive apart from the law. But in that condition, alive to the law, we're actually spiritually dead to God. We were, Colossians 2.13 says, dead in our trespasses and uncircumcision of our flesh. You see the connection there? The, the circumcision and uncircumcision of the law. We were dead to God, dead in our transgressions, but we were alive apart from the law. That's what we're all about before Jesus. We're dead to God, alive to the law. You know, somebody's law somewhere, the law of Buddhism, the law of the universe, of karma, the law of of, um, anybody else's righteousness, even our own, whatever rules we come up with, we can even do it with God's perfect law. Take God's perfect law and, and just imagine that we are meeting it and fulfilling it. That's what we're all about before We're alive to God. We're dead to God. We're dead in our trespasses, but we're alive to the law, following laws, following rules. We're either using the wrong laws the right way, those wrong laws of all of those things that we come up with or the other religions in the world, the other philosophies, those are the wrong laws, but we use them the right way, the way they were intended to be used. Do this, don't do that, do this, you can achieve this. Or we're using the right law the wrong way, not intended by God, the author of his law. In neither of those cases are we saved. In neither of those cases are we justified. In neither of those can we be sanctified. 
We must confess our sins. We must believe in Jesus Christ, turning away from sin, turning to Him in faith. But if we believe in Jesus Christ, through faith, we have been justified. We've repented of our sins. We've believed in Him so that we are justified, and that comes only through faith. Our life continues in that faith rather than just suddenly shifting over to working really hard in works of the law. Why? Because in Jesus Christ, we died to the law. That's the truth of what happened already for those of us believers who believe in Jesus Christ. It already happened, so live like it. So think like it. That's what we're called to hear. Hear the truth, know the truth, and believe it. Live it out. Don't go back to following laws and rules. We're dead to that in our Christian life. And it's going to be frustrating because we're going to be tempted to going back into following our rules and our set of commandments and laws and things that we want to try to achieve and and perform by. That will be joy sapping. It will be peace robbing. (laughs) So that's the point of doing it. That's why God allows that to happen. You know, why am I so down all the time? And why am I so frustrated in this life? Well, God's allowing that. God's bringing that into your life so you'll get away from that. You're not supposed to be working so hard and trying to obey rules and laws. When you see it, stop, repent, and believe. All over again. Don't stay there. Remember this truth that we are dead to the law. Believe it and do it. By the way, you've heard us say things like, preach the gospel to yourself, right? You've heard us say, minister the gospel to those around you, to one another. This is what we're talking about. You know, as I'm down and as I'm frustrated and there's no peace, there's no joy, well, how do I help myself? Well, I come back to the truth. I'm dead to the law. I can't do it. If I'm dead, I can't do anything. This is part of living in the gospel, thinking rightly, considering ourselves dead to the law. So we need to know that, we need to believe that, that the law has no power over me. But death through the law and to the law was not the end. That was just the beginning. We learn and consider ourselves dead to the law, but number two, in verse 19, we are alive to God. We're alive to God. Remember that before Jesus, we were alive to the law, but dead to God. In order to be alive to God, we have to die to the law. That's why this is so necessary, so important for us. Look at verse 19. Through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Before the gospel, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We don't realize it. We think we're just fine, right? We're living our life the way that we think we're supposed to, the way that we want to. Our hearts are beating, our brains are thinking, our lungs are breathing air in and out. We're alive, right? We have emotions. We have motives and thoughts. We're living human beings. But inwardly, spiritually, we are dead. Ephesians 2 talks about that. You can turn there or you can just stay here and listen. We won't be there for long. Ephesians 2 in verse 1 through 5, now, God knows we're alive. People think well, the, the Bible's so backwards, it's so ignorant, you know, it doesn't know anything. No, God says we're alive. The verses in Ephesians 2 says the, the, we're dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He says, among whom we all once lived. He knows we were alive, Right? We lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The Bible says we were alive. We were living beings in our body, in our mind, yet we were dead spiritually before God in our trespasses and sins. 
But he continues and he says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So as alive as we were physically and alive to the law, we were dead spiritually before God. But as we come to Jesus in faith, the law draws near because remember, that's what Jesus does. He reveals to us our sin. He draws near and the law comes and kills us, but that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing that it kills us because it's for the purpose of making us alive to God instead, spiritually alive. Now, in neither case are we able to fulfill the law ourselves. We're still not able to obey the law fully. Why not? Because as we said, the law only reveals sin. It doesn't show us how not to sin. It doesn't help us not sin. It just seems to bring more sin, and it kills when it comes up against. So how could we ever say that's a good thing? How could we ever say we love God's law? Because in Jesus, we're declared righteous so that our sins are not held against us any longer. The perfect law of God is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He obeyed it in every way. And when we repent to turn to him in faith, that, re- that righteousness is given to us positionally before God so that we're declared Jesus' kind of righteousness, God's kind of perfect righteousness positionally before him. So even though we fall short in practice, and even though the law doesn't give us the instructions for how not to sin, we love the law because we love the lawgiver. And because the law, in all of its perfection and holiness, reveals to us who our Savior is, the only one who was ever perfect and holy and righteous. That's how we're dead to the law and alive to God. In Jesus Christ, he took our sins. He died, even though he had never sinned. Because he took our sin, and because the penalty of sin is death, Jesus died. In faith, we become united with him to die to sin and to the law. But then as Jesus was raised from the dead, we're united with him and raised with him from the dead. This is the explanation in Romans chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. He says, we know. Again, that's how faith begins. We hear it and we know it. We believe it and we live it out. He says, we know that Christ being raised from the dead, as we sang this morning, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, how does Christ live? He lives to God. So what? So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead and he was alive to God, his father. When we, in faith, become united with him, we die with him and then we're raised with him so that we live to God the same as Jesus did and does. So again, the truth is we believers are dead to the law. We're dead to sin. We're dead to flesh, but we are alive to God. We are in Jesus alive spiritually, alive to his love, alive to his grace and his mercy, rather than being cut off from it, rather than being spiritually dead and just waiting around for his judgment. Brothers and sisters, I hope that we can see how terrible of a condition we are in without Jesus, but how much more wonderful of a condition we're in, in Jesus, what he does for us. When we... when we neglect this truth and we, and we set this aside, we don't consider ourselves like this. We don't think rightly like this. That's when we underestimate how bad a shape we're in without Jesus. That's when we overestimate how good we are and, and how well we're doing, right? 
And that's when the gospel doesn't have very much effect. That's when the gospel's not exciting. There's no hope. There's no joy. It's old news. I don't need that. I've already got that. I'm okay the way I am, right? It's only when we understand the bad that we understand this good. Not getting it, not realizing how good this good is, most happens to us Christians when we have really good rules. When we've made some really solid rules and we're doing a really good job following lots of really good rules and doing good things, this, this gospel falls away. It gets put aside, and the hope and the joy that it brings gets put aside as well. I mean, we realize that many in the world are not going to like this message, right? The world is going to set this gospel aside. The Bible tells us that. People aren't going to want to believe this gospel. This is a very offensive gospel to tell them that they're sinful and they deserve God's wrath forever, right? That's a hard lesson, a hard message to give to people. They're going to reject it just as a default position unless the Lord begins to work in their heart and mind. They don't want that message. But for Christians, that can still happen to us. We can still set aside this message. If it, and it's just not that important to us. You know, I'm, at a, I'm not going to hell now. So now I can start doing other things. Now I can live my life. And I can measure myself up against my own little measuring stick of holiness and rule following. And, and we, can, we can identify this in ourselves when we're able to list it all out, when, when we've got our list ready and going, hey, how was your week? Oh, it was pretty good. You know, I, I uh, read my Bible this week. I went to church. I was praying. I wasn't cursing at all. You know, I go to church. I give. I serve. And I have my whole list. You know, I served over here, and I taught over there, and I, yeah, I did something over here. Nobody else knew about it, but I'm, I'm doing it because I just love the Lord, and I wanted to tell you all about it, <laughs> right? Those works... The things that we do, uh, the rules that we follow are not what faith brings into the life of a justified Christian who's living by faith. Say, how can you say that? The rules that we follow are not our life. They're not life to God. They're not alive to God. Those are the rules, the life rules that we have that tell us that we're feeling pretty good, that we're alive ourselves to these rules. I know many dear Christian brothers and sisters who have so many rules, lots of rules, very close and dear to their heart rules, so that if you even questioned one of the rules, they would look at you like you just questioned their salvation. Now, how dare you? And in some of those cases, sometimes for those people, you have questioned their salvation, if that's where their hope is, if that's what they're basing their, their assurance of their salvation on is their works. If not their salvation, their justification, again, where, where they're progressively becoming more Christ, more like Christ, like, this is how I do it. What do you mean? Why would you ask me that? How, how dare you question any of my rules and any of my good things? I'm becoming more like Jesus. But whatever rules we come up with, whatever guidelines that we develop that help us feel closer to God, that, that give us assurance that, that off course he's working in my life, that I'm growing in righteousness and sanctification, that somehow we're always able to connect back to growing in God. The the rules that we do, the works that we do, all of that replaces faith in Jesus. It doesn't get us more in faith. It doesn't grow more faith. It doesn't get us closer. It becomes faith in ourselves. It becomes faith in our own works of our own laws and our own rules and our own doing. Man's rules, man's ability to follow man's rules, those are far and away the wrong way to be justified or to be sanctified. 
man's rules, man's ability does not bring about holiness. You may be hearing me correctly. You may not be hearing me correctly. So this, this is what we're saying. You may be hearing me say that following the rules that I've made for myself to be sanctified, to grow in faith, are not helpful. And if you're hearing that, you're hearing correctly. <laughs> I thought this was a good thing. I thought, you know, I was doing good by setting up my own little parameters, my own rules, and, and I thought I was growing in faith by just obeying and obeying and obeying. You know, I thought that's how we did all of this. And some of you are starting to just get fuming mad <laughs> because we're putting down those rules. But this is what Colossians 2 says, and you can turn there or you can, again, stay here and just listen. But this is what Colossians 2 says in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink and with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Those were all the rules and the laws that people were following at the time. Those make us holy. Those get us closer to God, right? These rules that they were following. Let no one pass judgment on you. He says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Christ fulfilled every law that mattered, that God came up with. He perfectly fulfilled it. We could never do that with any of the rules we come up with. And he says in verse 18, let no one disqualify you. You're not a lesser Christian. You're not a non-Christian because you don't follow these rules. He says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. That's that self-discipline, making myself, forcing myself to obey rules. Worship of angels, going on in detail about visions. How important is that today for so many of us? People have visions, and they're telling us God says this, and we should be doing that. Puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, who is our head? Jesus from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. See, the holding on to this is not to holding on to all these rules and these regulations and these laws. It's holding on to the head, Jesus himself, so that the growth that comes is not from our own efforts and our own merits and our own desires to be rule followers. It comes from him. It's a growth that comes from God. He says in verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive to the world, again, as if you were still alive to the law, why do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. (laughs) Why would we go back to that? It didn't do any good for us. And here it is. He says in verse 23, these indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. That's Colossians 2, 16 to 23. The rules that we develop, the guidelines that we place on ourselves and others are of no value towards stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Our rules can't do it. Man's rules. Woman's rules, right? let's, not, let's make sure we're clear. Nobody's rules, no human's rules, works of the law where we restrict ourselves or punish ourselves when we mess up. None of that is of any value to stopping the indulgence of the flesh. We do not and we cannot stop sin or grow in faith by inventing and following rules or by trying harder. We do not and we cannot grow in holiness and righteousness by following orders. Oh, well, this family over here, they never do that. Well, let's, let's do that also. That family over there, they always do that. Well, that's good. Let's, let's make 
follow that example and do that and follow all these rules. It doesn't make us closer to God. It doesn't help us grow. It never does any good in terms of encouragement or edification to set rules and guidelines and and laws. In fact, what it really does is it feeds our flesh. It feeds the pride of the flesh because the flesh wants comfort. The flesh wants to be proud, to grow in attention and have direction and control. And it will do it and it will take it however it can, even if it means if I make up strict rules and I'm hard on myself, then people will be impressed. See, really, just it really feeds our indulgence. We want the lines. We want the codes, the laws, the strictness, right? And we've seen in the world how when those things aren't there, there's chaos. Or when a child is not directed and disciplined and, and guided in love, he becomes unruly. We see all that, right? We understand that there have to be some laws and, and some rules and, and you know, what's okay and what's not okay. We see that what happens in society when things like that go away, it falls apart. We see it happening in Philadelphia this last couple of weeks and San Francisco and Seattle and, and New York. We see that. When there's no law to tell people or when it's not enforced, things go bad. So that's a valid use of law and rules, Right? It's valid to have laws that explain what's right and wrong in your interaction with people in society, what's legal and what's not. At that level, it works for that purpose. (laughs) We're not preaching anarchy here as we talk about no rules, no guidelines, no laws. But because basic society works with laws, with rules, it doesn't mean that we make that jump in our thinking to believe that that's how we spiritually grow, by setting up rules and these staircases where we just build and build ourselves up through our works. That does not contribute to our sanctification or holiness. And this can be so disheartening for some people. <laughs> there was a couple that left our church for this. If you've been coming for any amount of time and you've been here when we've had notes that have application on them, when we don't see application that says, this week, do this thing. Or this week, here's the two things you should do. You know, work on this and do this. And here's the rules for this week. They said, I know I need that. I need application I can sink my teeth into. What should I be doing this week? What rule, what steps do I need to take? I'm lost if I don't have that. And I said, that's not the way I'm going to be applying the scriptures to our life. And they said, we've got to leave. We talked about it a few weeks ago. That, that's how we're trained in this world. That, that's how we're trained to think. Everything's measured up. Everything is graded. Everything is evaluated constantly. We're going to stumble in these ways more than we've ever recognized. But it's God's grace to show us so that we can fix that thinking, so we can repent, turn away from that. We're dead to the law. We're alive to God. Alive to God means who we live for, what we live for, and who we live for. When we live to the law, we live for that. We sought out rules. We sought out laws. What else can I do? What else should I be doing? Where am I falling short so that I can fix that? We live for ourselves and for rules and law, but alive to God means we live for Him. We live to know Him more. We live to love Him, to fear Him, to worship Him. We live to Him as Christ lives to Him forever. He's His perfect Father. We've been resurrected in a spiritual life with Christ to live for God. So we seek out him. We don't seek out more rules. How do I figure this thing out? And how do I do that? No, we seek our God. We want to know him. We want to love him and live for him. It's in Jesus that we have real peace with God and others, real joy, so that no matter what comes along, we still have that joy. No matter what happens, we have hope all the way to the end. In him, we are made whole and restored into people who live out his love, his grace, his truth, his purpose, 
for his glory. Think about, think about all the joys and the blessings that are in life. Our good, sovereign God has given us all of the things that we enjoy. He's given us eyes to see beauty all around us. He's given us ears to hear beautiful music and nature sounds and, and the voice of our loved ones. We have taste for food and drink. We have smell. We have all kinds of textures, and we, we can enjoy all of the blessings of this life and this creation. Our physical life has many blessings, but they're passing, aren't they? They pass away. Amazing sights can erode. They can pass by. We, we even get used to seeing amazing sights, right? We all, we, you know, some things that people see, and they come for long distances to come see, and we, oh yeah, we see that every day. We have ears that eventually get used to hearing things that are beautiful. We smelling and tasting and feeling and hearing. These things pass away. Our hearing goes. Our sight goes. There are people that have never had sight. People that have never had the blessings of this life in sound. Or we lose those things over time. Those are very real blessings. They're physical blessings given to us by God. But alive to God means, according to Ephesians 1, every spiritual blessing. Alive to God means every blessing that we have been given in the heavenly places, spiritual blessings that don't fade, spiritual blessings that don't pass by and pass away. And none of us miss out on any of all of the spiritual blessings that God gives us in the heavenly places. None of us miss out. None of us is missing a way to enjoy those or to have those. Not one is missing or passes by. The biggest permanent spiritual blessing we have as we are alive to God is being with Jesus himself. This is how Revelation ends in in chapter 21 of Revelation, verses 3 and 4. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. What's that going to do? Is that going to be good? Of course. He says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's what we have to look forward to. That's that's just the, the part of the spiritual blessings that we have already and that we'll be able to experience and enjoy forever. That's God's presence. That's blessing. When we are alive to God, it's incomparably better than anything else we can invent or come up with in this world. It happens now. It begins now. And it will be forever. <laughs> and it will be made even more real when we're there forever. But that's, what we're, that's how we're thinking. This is how we're thinking. We're thinking ourselves and considering ourselves the truth, dead to the law, but alive to God. There's so much more here, but obviously we're not going to even touch it this morning. Let's praise God for his word. Lord, thank you, God, for these truths. Thank you, Lord, that you've killed us in the law. Lord, you've taken away our ability to please ourselves and others and try to please you by doing and by working. God, thank you that you have removed that burden from us. Lord, you have given us your grace, your mercy in your truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord, where you made us alive God, even when we thought we were alive, we were dead. <laughs> we weren't even alive spiritually, God. We, we thought we had everything figured out. And Lord, when your law came, we, just, we realized, we saw that we were dead. And we needed your forgiveness. We needed to be justified, to be declared righteous and made alive together with Christ. God, you do that for us in the gospel. 
Father, what truth, what, what amazing grace this is. God, I pray that this would be the truth in each of our lives, Lord, that this encouragement, this hope, this joy would be real in each of our lives, God, that when we don't experience and we don't know and we don't see, God, that we would recognize what we've put in its place so we can restore the, the rightful thinking, Lord, the rightful place of your truth, of your grace in Jesus Christ. God, help us. Help us, Lord. We believe, but help our unbelief. Father, we cry out to you because you are the one who gives faith. You are the one who enables us to live in faith. You enable us to be justified in faith. And God, you enable us to be sanctified in faith. Lord, help us to live that way. Help us to live looking forward to the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ, because God, that's what you've told us to be doing until he returns. This is what we are to be about. This is what is to, to run our lives, Lord, your truth, this gospel. God, help us to be ready in this way. We praise you. We lift up the name of our Savior, Jesus, in his name. Amen.